So good to be back this morning. Good to see everyone as we are here to honor and worship God and remember our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we will not be continuing on any part of the topic of the eldership, but of course, still want to be looking at God's Word and seeing what it does have to say for each and every one of us. As we have noticed, even with the thoughts of the eldership, there's so much still applies to everyone and not just a small group of individuals. If you'd like to, please turn to Ecclesiastes 12. I'd like to consider some of the things that the wise man, what the preacher had to say, as it seems especially towards the close of his life. And I believe, of course, here, each and every one of us will find ourselves within this last chapter of this book. In one way or another, each and every one of us is there. And there's instructions for us, maybe reminders, we might even find some regrets. But even when we find regrets, there's something we can do with it where there can be a positive outcome. So here in Ecclesiastes 12, here at the very close, we see he writes, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. I understand y'all have gone through quite an extensive study in this book, so you know what we're talking about. We know the things that Solomon has done, and now he's reached the end of his writings, as it seems for the most part, and especially toward the end of his life. But here is an emphasis that he gives. He says, you need to remember now. Remember. And it means to mark something as if to be able to recognize it. So it's not just, just kind of a casual thought, oh yeah, that reminded me of something. But it's, no, you mark now your Creator to be able to recognize the Creator. No matter what our age is, think about it. Do I really recognize God? Do I really have a grasp of the reality of God or is it just kind of a passing thought or a passing acceptance like yeah I believe in God really do you remember him is he marked is he someone that we really recognize do we recognize God so we need to be recognizing God as he points out here our creator God is our creator He's the one that makes us. He's the one that directs us. He's not some old, decrepit grandpa sitting up there just thinking, and I wish they would pay attention to me. If they would just come visit me, all oh, the things I would give them, like some of us grandpas kind of do. You know, the kids can get anything to a point. He's not like that. He's not aging. He's not becoming desperate. He's not lonely for all of us. He is God. And Solomon's saying, now, right now, even in your youth, recognize God as our creator. As the one that we serve, he's not the one that we tried to manipulate to get what we want. My little granddaughter I just call her baby. Her name's Amelia. 
But she can get up to me. She said, Granddad. And whatever it is, she gets to a point, you know. But that granddad kind of gets a hold of something. Well, God loves us, but we can't manipulate him. We don't manipulate God. There's the warnings and the recognition. Romans chapter 1, 20 through 23 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They weren't denying God, notice. But they weren't glorifying him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile. Just kind of passive, whatever. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Doesn't that describe today? No, we don't have birds or the graven images like they did then. But still, people today are just so wise, so smart. If you don't believe it, ask them. And they'll tell you. And yet they get so smart that they kind of start watering down God. Oh, they admit there's God. But they're not glorifying Him. And Paul... You know, Paul doesn't mince words. He says they become futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts are darkened. He says they're already foolish. They're senseless in the ways that matter. They profess to be wise. They become fools. And that's what man has done. He started changing he starts thinking that he can become God rather than serve God. Jeremiah 2 in verse 11, Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. So people start glorifying things that really no profit at all. Maybe in and of themselves aren't bad. But there's no profit, especially no profit spiritually have you ever noticed the way that people use the words awesome it's amazing and some things are but some people they talk about the most awesome and amazing scrambled eggs and hash browns with cheese and i like breakfast but is it really awesome does it really strike awe and amazement in the person? Or is it just something you like? Now, God is supposed to be awesome, to make you awestruck, to make you amazed because of who He is. And we can't even come close to grasping the majesty of God. And yet we'll use those descriptive terms and say to a sports event, to a meal, or whatever. And do it so lightly. And then passively, yeah, I believe in God. 
And it's just, God's there. He loves me. I love him. And there's no glory to it. We've changed the glory to things that are unprofitable. But we need to start early. As Solomon says here, remember now your creator in your youth. Start young. That means that we as the parents and grandparents and even older brethren need to continue to impress it upon our young. You know, Jesus said, Matthew 19, verse 14, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He said, you don't hold the kids back. Let them come. I believe as we see the descriptions here, Jesus liked kids. A lot of us like kids. Kids are good to like. Teach them about God. Make sure that Jesus is real to your children, not just a sweet story to put them to sleep. But he has to be real. Start early to impress upon them the awesomeness of the real God. So this is what Jesus says. But the world says, oh, they're just kids. Let them enjoy life while they're young. As they get a little bit older and still young, you have your whole life in front of you. Enjoy the sports, the fun, the education, all the extracurriculars. Do all that while you can because later on you won't be able to. Where's God in this picture? Jesus said, let them come to me. Solomon said, you remember now your creator. But you know, you look around our society, it's not working like that. Many times the kids and all their extracurriculars that the parents follow them in, or sometimes the parents are saying, no, you're going to do it. It's going to build character. I don't know what they think God and Jesus are supposed to be able to do. But all these other things will be building character, and it dominates an entire family every day and every hour, and they can somehow squeeze in worshiping God. Is that remembering our Creator and His awesomeness the way it ought to be? And you ask them about something, so we just don't have time right now. We just don't have time, and it's true. Because we filled it up with all these things where we put glory that the Scripture says are useless. They're not bad in and of themselves, but you compare it to serving God? How would that scale work out? Just imagine for a minute, what if someone suggested an extra Bible study every week into your schedule right now? What if they suggested an extra Bible study Every other week into your current schedule, just bi-weekly. Or if you want to get drastic, suppose the congregation said, we're going to stop having our midweek service on Wednesday night. Instead, we're going to have a Tuesday night and a Thursday night service. What would that do to your schedule? We're going to get together Tuesday night and Thursday night in addition to our two on Lord's Day to worship God. Would you have time? Would you have time? Or would it just not work with my, with my schedule? I'm just booked up. I'm obligated. God, I don't have to wait. 
So Solomon, though, was saying, no, you remember now your creator. You remember it right now. In the days of your youth, before the difficult days come. How many young teenagers, how many 20-year-olds, how many 30-year-olds think that their life right now isn't difficult? At what point in life, when you can think and reason, do you not think that your life is difficult? Everyone does, in one way or another. How many people in all these different stages wouldn't say, well, you just don't understand what I have to go through. And maybe I don't. But inspiration is saying, you remember your Creator now before it gets tough. Whether I understand it or not, I think inspiration is given the right instruction. Remember now, when we think toward our youth, we know Proverbs 22 and verse 6 very well, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. To train up does mean to initiate or to discipline or to dedicate. You dedicate that child now from their infancy in the way that he should go. Is this an absolute? No. But it is a general rule. Just like there's the general rule, a child left to himself brings his mother to shame, but sometimes there are exceptions to that. With this one, it is the general rule. Sometimes there are exceptions because people can make choices when they get older, and they do. Adam and Eve had the best parent that there was, made a bad choice, and strayed. But it doesn't mean that we don't try. We need to remember. Would we have God marked to be recognized in our life, our entire life? Are we remembering Him and impressing, putting that mark upon our children right now to help them? You know, it's not going to happen accidentally. I've had parents talk to me and wonder about, you know, they'd raised this child for at least 18 years. Then they ask me to talk to them whenever they turn 19 and try to figure out why they're not interested in the Lord. You know, I'll try to, but there's not much I can do in a couple of hours as opposed to the first 19 years. And they can tell me, says, I sent them to all the meetings. Why didn't you go with them? Why didn't you watch them while they were there? What did you do at home? What was emphasized? How were they guided? What did they see? Those are the things that need to be paid attention to, as Solomon was saying, now. To prevent the problems later on. But still to the youth, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 22 Paul told Timothy, flee also youthful lust, but pursue. Same word sometimes translated persecute. That means you're, you're determined. You're trying hard. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What does it mean when he speaks about youthful lust? Flee, get away from youthful lust. You know, that word lust... It's not even fun to say, is it? It just kind of leaves a bad taste. It just sounds bad. But it's just when it's translated in reference to something that is kind of bad, 
or that would lead you away from God because it's the same word as Luke 22 and verse 15 when Jesus says, with great desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you. So lust is a desire. Philippians 1 verse 23, Paul desired to depart and to be with Christ. Same word. Also in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 17, with great desire, he wanted to see those brethren's face. So it's the way it's used. We need to flee or be greatly, uh, use great care with the youthful desires. You know, it, the desire in and of itself doesn't mean that it's just bad. But it depends on where it takes you. Is it keeping you, are you emphasizing most with God, or is it taking you away from God? These youthful desires, are they something that are in opposition to the righteousness, to the faith, and the love that Paul mentions right here? Especially, it shows more a different fellowship or being together with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Where are those desires taking us? Are they linking us more with those who are away from Christ? Or are we looking to seek after these good things in conjunction with or in communion with the others who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart? Again, with those questions, we know the answers. We know what they ought to be. These are things that we need to be emphasizing now. So parents, guide the youth so that they can understand. And maybe we need to adjust some of our own focus so that they can see we're focused on the, on the righteousness, love, and faith, and peace. And we're not focused on the things that are out there either over the godly things. We need to help them remember now their creator i've talked to older brethren and mothers before and one thing that had been repeated more more times than i can count are dear sisters with grown children that by all accounts are still faithful but them say my biggest regret is not reading the bible to my children more especially those who had strayed. I regret that I didn't read to my children more from the Scriptures. Made them go to church. But what about everyday life? Every day. And that's what Solomon is talking about here. Let's look back. Think about Jesus. At age 12, Jesus was saying, I need to be about my father's business. Luke 2 and verse 49. The following years after his parents had found him there speaking to the lawyers and these these high up people within the Jewish faith, he went back with them and he was subject to his parents. Luke 2 and verse 51. So they were carrying over him. He was subject to his parents. Those of you young children, if you can hear me and you can understand me, Jesus did what his parents said. He subjected him. He listened to his parents. And you must also. 
He was regular in the synagogue. Look 4 and verse 16. At about 30, the scriptures say, he began his public teaching. Look 3, 23. You know what happened about three years after that. He is crucified. At 33, the prime of his life. Look at what he was doing through there. That's the time that most are saying, man, you need to be having fun. You need to be establishing yourself. You need to be working toward this and working toward that. He was. He was working toward going back to heaven with his father, having done what his father wanted him to do. And that's what life is about. Does it mean we can't have fun? Does it mean we can't enjoy? Does it mean we can't do other things? No. But always keep God first. Always keep him first. So youth is often too busy being young and experiencing life. Young families are often too busy with their kids, with everything that they're wanting to do, trying to figure out who takes who where and when and how. They're too busy in making a living, in getting established, in waiting till when things slow down. Has anyone ever found that time? I can remember a long time ago, Sharon and I even saying, well, when, when things slow down, then maybe it didn't take too long, we realized it doesn't. Things don't slow down. We just have to rearrange and prioritize. But here, can you remember, we think the kids have to have fun, they have to get established, we have to make a living we have to plan toward retirement. There's no time for anything. But we're going to get to it. When this and this and this is all in place, oh, the time that I'll have for the Lord. If I get this done within my business, the things I'm going to give and do for the Lord's church. Big plans. What about that three-letter word there in Ecclesiastes 12:1? Now. What about now? As he said, before the difficult days come. No matter our age, no matter our stage, there's going to be difficulties. And some people have more difficulties than others. But no matter what the problem or the obstacle is, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, that these things, these obstacles, these temptations, these trials are what? He says, common to man. They're common. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. But he says they're common. So don't think that you're the only one that is or has gone through it. Don't think you're the only one that's ever faced this problem. And nobody understands. It is common. But I know it's still difficult. The youth have things to do while they're young. The young family is so busy with life, kids, kids' activity, and planning for the future. Then the kids are gone, and you're old, or at least getting there, and then you're tired. Then you're tired because you did all that with them. You got established all through those middle years, and then you're old and tired, and maybe the thought comes to mind again. Solomon did say, Remember now. Now I'm tired. And he describes some of those tired times in here. 
Or sometimes people reach that tired time and they say, well, you know, I'm getting on up in years now. I've put in my time, so now I've earned the right to just sit back and enjoy life. And I wonder where where that verse is. While living here, I have earned the right to sit back and watch, enjoy, or maybe direct a little bit. You know, I don't know where that is. We can hear it a lot, but we don't find it in the Scriptures. Paul was going to the very end, all the way to the end. Jesus did. This life is here, and even in the last chapter of 1 Timothy, Timothy points out, even in relationship to the rich and what they have and how they shouldn't trust in it but do good things with it, he even points out that God has given us all things to enjoy. There are things of enjoyment in serving God, and it's not just being in the worship, but we can enjoy other things. There were times that Jesus took the disciples aside, and he had them rest and kind of recuperate from a lot of their hard schedules. So no, we don't have to be in worship all the time, but we remember that God is first, always be remembering him, always plan on getting back in the work for the Lord. We don't just sit back. Mr. Kaufman, in his commentary, said, For us to remember him, therefore is no perfunctory mental act. And I'll admit I had to look up perfunctory. You know. And he, that just, he said that just means to be carried out with minimum, minimal effort, without thought, without reflection. It's not something you do casually. He says, no, we need to be remembering Him. He says, it means to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit ourselves to Him, to love Him, and to obey Him. And I believe he's right. It's not something we just do without thought or without concern. So he said, remember him now before the evil days come, before the difficult days come. In verses 2 through 8, there are descriptive terms here that seem to describe and let us know the old body is going to wear out. No matter who you are, you live long enough, it's going to wear out. It's not going to be like what it used to be. Not going to be able to do what you used to be able to do. So there are different, there's different variations on these metaphorical body descriptions. But in short, that's just what it's saying. It's going to get harder to do the things that you have been doing. Even in your service to God, it will become more difficult to do. So make the most of it now. Get the most done that you can now, but always continue to do just as much as you possibly can. Because it is going to get more difficult, and he never mentions that time where you've earned the right to sit back, your ticket's punched, and just wait to go through the gate. That's not coming. But you need to be busy at all times right now. In verses 10 and 11, 
Solomon claims his words have been given to him by the shepherd. He says, these aren't just my own thoughts that I came up with, but they are things that have been given and provided by the shepherd. And we need to listen. Solomon's been around for a while already. He would know these things just simply by experience. But you add inspiration to experience, makes it even better. We can have a lot of experience and build a lot of wisdom. But we don't get the inspiration. Not the direct inspiration as he did. But he points out in verse 12, And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. He's not saying there's something wrong with worldly knowledge. But you need to use it right. And not put too much emphasis upon it. Even Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, There are those who are ever learning, yet never coming to a knowledge of the truth. There is worldly wisdom and wisdom from above that's compared. James 3 verses 15 through 17. We need the wisdom, which is from above. So he warns that. We know how the world emphasizes things. But what really needs to be emphasized? You know, in our little old congregation up there in Goshen, there's more than one individual with PhDs. I don't know how many master's degrees. Numerous uh, bachelor's degrees engineers within the congregation a lot of educated people then there's brian but everyone is emphasizing what's here they can use some of that other in deciphering some things here but they know that's not getting them to heaven that's not getting them there but god's word is going to be getting them there. Is Solomon saying you ignore all that? No. He says keep it in the right place. In your studies through Ecclesiastes, look at all of the things that he experienced. Was there anything that he said he couldn't achieve or he couldn't test? No. He said, I did it all. What did he say about it? useless it's empty compared to this compared to the creator to know that he is my creator verse 13 let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter he said fear god and keep his commandments for this is man's all he says this is it the conclusive finality of everything is the same creator need to be recognizing in your youth serve him all through the prime of your life keeping close during those difficult days and the days that the physical body is just plain wearing out and he'll be waiting for you He'll be ours and we'll be His. He says, but this is it. Fear God. It means to revere. 
even to cause to frighten. Fear God. Does it mean to be in terror of God? Not if you're serving Him. What if you go against Him or forget Him? Better be terrified. There's times and there's reasons for it. But He's not a God to where, like as fathers, when we walk into the room of our children or our grandchildren, we don't want them to run over into the corner because they just have no idea what we're going to do to them. That's terror that shouldn't be. I ought to be happy to see you and run to you. Do they still respect you? Yes. What if you walk in and you catch them doing something that they're not supposed to do? There needs to be some of that other fear because they know there's consequences. We know what it means. And we know what it means here with God as well. There's the man we call the rich young ruler that runs to Jesus. We can see all those admirable characteristics about him. He says, what do I need to do? He wants to speak to this good, this great master. And he asks, says, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. That's great. Keep the commandments. But then he has that follow-up question. Okay, which ones? All of them. You know? Aren't people like that a lot today? You say, you need to obey God. You need to keep His commandments. That one too. Which ones do I have to keep? The answer is still the same. All of them. Like Solomon was saying here. Fear God and keep His commandments. All of them. For this is man's all. So now let's go back to some of what we had looked at earlier. We know that God is watching everything all the time. It used to bother me when I was little. Because, yeah, I had things to be bothered about with what I'd get into sometime. But I'd be in my backyard. My mom had told me, says, someone's always watching you. I would know she's in the front yard watering her flowers. I'd be in the backyard doing some of my thing. I didn't see her. I couldn't see anybody. I was convinced I could have gotten away with anything. And it finally hit me who she's talking about. Yeah, God's always watching. And part of the scary thing of that is that He can even watch in here. He can watch and listen right inside here and know everything that's going on. Mark 12 and verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. There's where our devotion is supposed to be, is to God. And that's with everything from the inside all the way out. He's watching. He knows the way we use our heart. He knows the way we use our mind. He knows the way we use our strength. He keeps up with all of it. What do people really see us putting our heart and soul into it? You know, we hear that phrase, or I live for that. I called a friend to help me track a deer. And he said, man, I'm glad you called. I just live for doing this. And when I was waiting for him to come out, I was thinking, I'm going to talk to him. There's more things to live for than tracking deer. He wasn't a church member. 
but we talked. A lot more to live for than what's fun. There are things to live for so that we can live forever with God. That's what you live for. And that's what he's telling us to do. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways. Which commandments? All of them. What ways? All of them. To walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Does the Father require any less after sending his Son to die for us? That's what he required then. Jesus has come and gone, made the perfect sacrifice, gave the perfect example, all those things. Does he require any less than all? Solomon was saying, this is the conclusion, this is the great conclusion and finality of all things. Fear God and keep His commandments. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. We have secret good things. God won't forget it. Hebrews 6 and in verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love you have shown toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Sometimes we worry about, you know, I've been doing all this or I've done this. And I mean, this might be in here. Nobody seems to notice. God does. He'll remember it all. But then that scary part is that we all have that thing or two that we remember, that we wish we could forget, hadn't told anybody, don't want anybody to know. God knows that too. Have we taken care of that? There's no reason to carry that baggage. We can have Him forget. He promises to forget when we follow his way if we really fear God and keep his commandments we don't have to worry about that secret that we don't want exposed but all we have to do is his will rather than our own so I know this has been a pretty superficial study over the entire chapter of Ecclesiastes 12 but I hope it brings some things to mind that there's not a time that Jesus, that God, is not to be brought up to the person. Our very small baby, our one-year-old, or whenever, however old, they're not going to walk over and start reading the Bible. You can start talking now. All the way up, you, re you emphasize what is supposed to be first. Let them remember now. Let them mark with remembrance and with recognition, God, He made us. We serve Him. He doesn't serve us at our whim. And remember all the time. Keep it in the right order. We know what first is. When we're promised the first piece of dessert, 
We know no one's supposed to be in front of us. We know what first means. God says, you seek me first. You remember me now. We know what it means. And he's not being mean about it. He's not being unreasonable. He's being loving. This is for your good. So where are we in this? At what stage? Who and how are we helping others to come along so we can be prepared for that last time when God's going to bring up everything that we may think has been forgotten? Are we ready for it? Remembrance is so important. Our brother mentioned it more than once in the prayer. We are here to be gathering around the Lord's table. As Jesus said more than once, remember me. And he has every right for that. I died for it. Remember me. And we don't just remember today, but we know that. Remember every day. Have you turned yourself over to God? Accepted the wonderful blessings of Jesus being our Savior, Jesus being our High Priest, Jesus saying, I'm coming back for you because you're mine. If you haven't, start today. Give yourself to the Lord through obedience to the gospel. Be convicted that Jesus is the one and only Lord and Savior. And because of our determination to serve Him, we will change. Change to live His way rather than insisting upon our way. That is repentance. We are changing for the better. It changes our mind for the good results in our actions. And be committed enough to admit And not just to proclaim, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God before you're baptized, but you live according to that fact and that conviction. He is the Son of God, and I'll live according to that fact that He is real, and I serve Him. And be baptized for the remission of sins. Won't you do that today if you haven't? If you have and you've strayed, you realize, you know, I forgot. I've forgotten. I've gotten things out of place. You can make that change. You're a child of God. You have the right to approach Him. You also have the right and a privilege to seek further strength or help from your brethren if you desire. And they're here for that today too. If there be one that we can assist in any way, I invite you to come while we sing.